It's good to be with all of you. Um, I really enjoyed your time of worship, great worship team. I will tell you this, if you were in Africa, no one would be sitting in their seat. They would, we have stackable chairs, they're like lawn chairs. That is their church chair. And they will take a church chair and they will lift it over their head and they'll start marching around the building and they'll dance and they'll jump up and down. They know how to celebrate Jesus. Isn't it awesome? They're not inhibited at all. They don't care what someone sitting beside them might think or say. They know. They know, they know, they know their Redeemer. They know their Redeemer lives. They know their Redeemer is powerful. They know their Redeemer cares for them and loves them with an everlasting love. They know that one day they're going to live in heaven and spend eternity with him. That is something to celebrate about. That is something to get excited about. That is something to jump up and down about. That is something to dance about. Thank you, Lord God, for redeeming power. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'd like to bring all of them here to see you and spend time with you, and I'm sure they would love to have all of you come and visit with them. Today I want to talk about Ruth a little bit. In the first couple chapters of Ruth, we see that Ruth made a choice to leave Moab, to leave her family, her friends, her culture. Everything that was familiar to her, she left behind. And she went with her mother-in-law to Bethlehem. Both women are widows, they're hungry, they're poor, she's a stranger, she's in a different land, she's an outcast because she's a Moabite. And they don't have any, any reserve to tap into. They need some food, they need something to eat. Much like the people of Kenya, they were hungry. And Ruth goes to the field of Boaz. He's a wealthy landowner, a man of strength, a kinsman redeemer, a type of Christ. And in Ruth 2.9, the NI version, it says, Boaz is saying this to Ruth, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. In the King James Version, it says, let thine eyes be on the field. Let thine eyes be on the field. Ruth, stay focused. Stay focused, Ruth. Keep your eyes open. Don't go to sleep. Don't step back. Stay on the path. Stay alert. Keep your eyes on the field. Watch for it to blossom. Watch for it to ripen. Wow, there's plenty to do, people. Plenty of people to harvest. 
So many souls out there need to know about Jesus. Keep your eyes on the field. Keep them open. Stay focused. And don't step away from what God has for you to do. You know, I understand you just celebrated 10 years here. You're rooting in a new field. You're tilling the ground. You're planting seed. You're reaching the lost. That's what the Lord wants each and every one of us to do. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to work on his behalf. You know, God sent the Lord Jesus. He came here to win the lost. But he also left a commission to us to continue his work to win the lost. Watch the field, Crosspoint. Watch the field. There's many souls, many souls waiting to be harvested. You know, we, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. Don't let our eyes wander off what God has for us to do. Don't let the enemy take you in the wrong direction. He would love to take your focus off what God has for you to do. And the best place to be is exactly where God wants you to be. And for you, that might be different than what it looks like for me. Know what God wants you to do. Stay attentive to his voice. Ruth could have said, I can't. I can't do that. I can't be seen in that field. I don't belong there. I look different than they look. I don't speak the same language they speak. I can't. It's too dangerous. It's not comfortable for me. I'm a quiet person. God can change that quietness. He knows how to do that. He knows how to deposit some boldness in you that you've never known before. Let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do in you. She listened. Ruth listened to Boaz. And she obeyed. We're to do the same. We're to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to listen to the Holy Spirit when he draws us into an area that's unfamiliar to us. We are to listen to him and obey him. And we're to watch for fruit. That is our commandment from the Lord Jesus Christ. Reach the lost. You know, she was committed to working in that field, and she went home with plenty. And I, that is my goal. I want many souls. Not just one, two, three, or four, or five. I want many. When I get up there with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I want to see many, 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 many souls. Yes, use us. Use us, Lord. Lord, let us live a life pleasing to you. May our light shine bright. 
may others see Christ in us. You know, when you walk through Rochester or the town where you might live or the neighborhood where you reside, what do people say? They, what do they say when they see you? What do they think when they see you? What do they see in you? Is it an angry person? A mean person? A selfish person? Someone not willing to help when they're down? What do they see in each of us? As a believer, we carry the name of Jesus. Are we honoring Jesus with our lives? Are we honoring him with our actions? Do they say, there's a believer in Jesus Christ? There's the love of Jesus Christ. There's a man that loves the Lord. I know he's a Christian. His life speaks loud. What do they see? You know, there's a field be before us. Every place we go, our workplace, our school, our neighborhood, your family. Every place. And they desperately need Jesus. I've been working in Easton, Kenya since 2004, and life is not easy there. Uh, the people find themselves in various degrees of struggles and hardships. There's extreme poverty. Uh, they lack sanita good sanitation. They're hungry. Clean water is an issue. Uh, they lack medical care, and they lack schooling because they don't have the funds for the extras. It's only a dream just to, to many people to go to school. And we also um, work with the tribe up in the northeast, sorry, northwestern part of Kenya. I spoke with the ladies about it yesterday called the Turkana tribe. They're hungry and they're at risk of starvation. Right now they've gone 18 to 24 months with very, very little rain. And because of this, they're going to be facing a large-scale famine. And thousands could die in the coming months. And this breaks my heart. You know, children eat dirt. They eat dirt so their tummy stops hurting. And fights erupt over the side of food. We take relief food, truckloads of relief, relief food out to the herdsmen and their family because the Turkana, they're, they're nomad, a nomadic tribe. They're a primitive tribe. And they travel a lot. They don't stay in one place. So we go to them. And we take relief food. And we take the gospel as well. And the sight of food will bring fights. They, they get frantic because they don't think there's going to be enough for them. Little ones are dying because of hunger. There are, uh, there are times when little ones are brought to us, their bodies are lethargic, they're almost lifeless, and they're brought to us, they're close to death. And when you're out in the desert in the remote areas, you don't have transportation uh, easily available. You don't, there's not an ambulance, there's, there's no EMTs. We have a motorbike, 
will send the child on a motorbike an hour out before the child can get any help. I don't know if you can understand the intensity of riding on a motorbike for an hour or so with the hot desert sun beating down upon you. And when you get to the place of, of your destination, you're not even sure if this medical clinic is going to have what you need. It's a very desperate situation. We want water when we give out our food, so we have the elderly stand in line first. Then we have the mamas with their babies. And then we have everyone else stand behind them. And you know, as they watch from the lines, they're watching sack after sack empty out. And at some point, they lose it. And they start pushing, trying to gain control, trying to get to the front. There are times when we see them struggling on the ground because some of their staple food is beans and maize. Maize is like a kernel corn and rice. And you're always going to drop something when you're filling sacks and putting food in their, their little pieces of cloth that they have or a plastic bag. And they, and they just gather on the ground and they'll push and they'll fight because they want the few pieces that we drop, they want them. They're hungry. We went to one village where we, with some relief food. Somehow the word got out that we were coming. We don't like to announce it because it, it makes matters worse when people are in a season of drought. There were so many people that we retreated. We retreated. You know, they have drums as a primitive tribe, and that's how they communicate. They beat on their drums, and they, they let people know that something exciting is going to happen, and the people come. There were so many people we knew we didn't have enough. We came back later that day, and we gave out the food that we had. How do you tell a hungry person that Jesus loves them. You feed them. You know, love looks different. You show them love. You show them Jesus' love by feeding them. And then they're going to listen to you. Then they're going to take the words that come out of your mouth and they're going to hold on to them. They're going to let those words resonate within their mind. They're going to let those words go deep in their heart. But if you can't take care of their need, how will they listen? They need to see the love of Jesus flowing through you and me. Lord, make us that funnel. Make us that funnel of your love. Keep your eyes on the field. Teach me to walk, Lord God, in your love. Teach me to know your voice. Let my hands be an extension of your hands. We have 15 churches in Kenya, and four of these churches are in the desert area for the Turkana tribe. We've also secured and surveyed more land. We plan on building another church 
for these beautiful people. They're tall and slender. There's not a pinch of fat on them anyplace. They love to jump up and down in worship to the Lord. You'll see pictures of them in the, in the foyer. Them, the women wear beads from their collarbone to their chin. This is their bride price. The man will make a deal with their, the girl's parents to exchange cows or camels or goats for the girl. Watching the field means walking with the people. It means listening to the people. It means sitting and understanding their needs and hearing what their suffering is. Walk beside someone for a while and you know exactly what's going on. You'll see their pain. You'll feel their pain. Be the hands of Jesus. Lord, help us to gather in the lonely, the hurting, the desperate, the hungry. You might say, oh, that's in Kenya. No, I believe it's right here in Rochester, too. It's around you. There's people that are in hurting. They're in great need. They need your help. They need to see your love. They need to know that Jesus cares about them. Maybe they're at a breaking point where they don't understand if God is real or not. But if you are that person, you are that person that can make a difference. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord God, to keep our eyes on the field. Another area that we work in is Mount Elgon. It's on the western border. It's far from the desert. It's on the western border of Uganda and Kenya. The mountain sits in both countries. It's an extinct volcano. It's the fourth largest mountain in East Africa. It's massive. There's waterfalls, elephant caves, monkeys swinging from the trees. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. But you know, mountain life, it's simple and it's hard. They live off the land. They're farmers. They have animals. Whatever the earth produces, they eat. They don't always understand the world around them because uh, their world is the mountain. They haven't had the opportunity to go to school, so it hasn't opened up their world at all. And they suffer from sickness and diseases because they don't have the extra for medical care. There's a very young mama placed a newborn baby in my arms and she ran away into the bushes, not wanting to be found because she understood that my life is better than her life. And she wanted her baby to have a better life. So she ran and she hid, and she left the child in my arms. A pastor's son, a 10-year-old boy, died of malaria. For $10 or under, that boy could have been helped. But they didn't have $10 or under. Seasonal work, mom is working in the fields. $10 could be 20 days for them, 20 days. And that money goes to food. They don't have funds for medical care or anything extra. 
So we have six churches in the mountain, and sometimes we host medical clinics for the people in these areas. And it's not uncommon to take care of 300 people a day. We have an outstanding medical team that we work with. They're qualified to give prescriptions, so before the people leave the church, they have exactly what they need. It's filled free of charge. Everything is free. Uh, you know, people come with broken bones, broken hips, malaria, growths and tumors, coughs, arthritis, uh, body pains, gonorrhea, syphilis, HIV, diseases of serious nature. We've seen just about all of it. These people would suffer in pain. They would sit home and suffer in pain without love flowing through someone else. Lord, help us. Help us, help us, help us to understand that just because we're comfortable, not everyone else is comfortable. Not everyone else has exactly what they need. Other people are suffering. Other people are in need. Other people need to hear about Jesus, and they need to see love flowing through you and I. At one of our clinics, a, a grown man walked in with a cloth to his mouth. He had a young boy uh, holding his hand and kind of leading him. This older man couldn't swallow. The, the cloth was catching his saliva. And the young boy did the speaking for him. And he told us that this, this man had a hot cup of tea. He went to sip it, not realizing that there was a spider in there. The spider bit his tongue. He couldn't seek help until he knew there was a clinic. This poisonous spider had, uh, the tongue had started to rot. There was a hole in the center. The tongue had turned black. His glands in his neck were swollen. You know, sometimes God stretches you. Yesterday we talked about saying yes to God. Saying, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Yes, Lord, I'll go. Yes, Lord, use me. And that's what the Lord is looking for. He's looking for a willing vessel. One that he can flow through. One that will listen to him. One that will be quick to respond. A young girl was carried into one of our clinics. She had massive burns from her knees to her ankles. A hot, they cook in large pans, a, a large hot pan of porridge somehow got spilled on her legs. It removed her flesh. This young girl was sitting home praying in pain for somebody to help her. Someone, somewhere, help me, help me, help me, help me. 
And there's a cry going out in the world today from people that you might not even know. Help me, help me, help me, help me. And it might not be an audible cry, but people need you. They need you to shine for Jesus. They need you to show forth the love of Jesus. They need you to step up to the plate and say, yes, Lord, use me. Watch the field, Ruth. Watch the field, Linda. Pay attention. Watch the field, Cross Point. There's people hurting. There's people that need you. You might say, what do I have to give? Jesus. Jesus. He has everything you need. Give them Jesus. You open your mouth, he's going to fill your mouth. Revive us, Lord. We want to look like you. We want to be a reflection of your love. We want to carry your love. It's time to harvest and gather in the hurting and the discouraged. You know, and I'm not saying this about Crosspoint, but many churches are too comfortable. They're too comfortable. They've been sitting long enough. It's time to rise up. It's time to wake up. It's time to step into a challenge and work for Jesus Christ. Some of our churches are being used for a two-year Bible training program, which gives the pastors and leaders a good foundation. Uh, Many of these men and women that... uh, feel the call of God on their life, have never had the opportunity to go to a Bible school. They've, they have not had any training. What they have is bits and pieces of what they hear from other people, other visitors that come into their area. And sometimes this really mixes up things, and um, their, their intentions are good, but they need to have some good training in the Bible. So there's a great need and hunger for more of God's word. We have over 30 students in the mountain taking this course now. They should graduate in April or May. We have two other classes that have already graduated uh, in the desert area, and they are going out. All of them are active. I'm very, very happy to say that. And they're active in ministry, and they're coming against the ancestral beliefs of animal sacrifices and and such. So God is really moving. Um, They're taking care of some of these deep-rooted beliefs that have been passed down generation to generation, and people are seeing the truth. We also, um, you know, harvesting is a lot of hard work sometimes, and I think if we studied Ruth, she probably had some type of a sickle or a machete that she used as a tool to make it easier for her as she went through the fields. And we have tools as missionaries. One of our tools is to gift a village with a well. We uh, want them to have clean water. By providing clean water, it impacts the whole village. Women are walking miles to 
to gather dirty water for their families. You know, cows and animals have walked through this water, or they've eliminated in this water, and mummers wash their clothes in this water, and people bathe in this water, and then mummers take it home to their families. And it causes a lot of problems. It causes a lot of diseases, even death. So if we can bless a whole village with clean water, it's a gift that keeps on giving. It's a gift that brings life. And Jesus brings life as well, doesn't he? And you know, the pastors will use these areas of our wells. They'll sit. You know, the wells are very busy because mamas don't just come once. They come several times throughout the day for water. And they'll sit and they'll, they'll uh, visit with the mamas and the, and the younger children that gather their water. And they'll pray with them and they'll share the word of God with them. It becomes a field, a harvest field of ministry. And we're looking forward to putting in many more wells as, as the time goes forward. We have 15 now in different villages and we've uh, repaired two, and uh, in 2023, we're going to add some more to that. As I walked through the hills and spent some time meeting with the people, sitting in their mud huts, their homes, um, like I said, you get to know what their struggles are, what life looks like for them. And there's so many children in the hills Many of them are orphans because their parents have died of HIV. You know, they got the runny noses and the, the bare feet and a little reddish hair because the nutrition isn't that good. And, but they got the beautiful eyes that look up at you and your heart melts. And you know, as, as we walked through the hills, I heard the same thing over and over and over again. Linda, what can you do for our children? Linda. What can you do for our children? We saw the harvest field, and in 2013, we opened up a school for this village and the surrounding village children as well. And we have kindergarten to sixth grade now. We, uh, we teach over 60 children, and they come from various backgrounds, some very hard life backgrounds. They carry a lot of scars, emotional scars, a lot of abuse. Home life is not a good life. Little Jimmy was sleeping on some rags and is on the ground of his uncle's hut all by himself. His uncle had been arrested for making homebrew and selling homebrew, which is very prevalent in the hills as the way of making a little extra money, and it's very prevalent, but every once in a while, the police run through the hills and they'll just ar arrest person after person after person. And little Jimmy stayed with his uncle, and one night his uncle didn't come home because he'd been arrested. And little Jimmy's sleeping in a hut with no door to lock at night, no glass or covering in the windows, and the malaria-carrying mosquitoes are coming and going. He's alone, he's hungry, he's scared, and he's stealing food so he has something to eat. And someone catches him and takes hot coals off the fire and stuffs his mud boots with hot coals. 
Ben was just a little guy when a group of thugs broke into his home, raped his single mom, beat her, almost cut off her leg with a machete. She was in the hospital for months. That young boy will have a hard time getting those screams out of his mind. Shaman and her seven siblings have a mom in Mexico in prison for selling drugs. Their father is nowhere to be found. They go without food and they lack extra, extra clothes. Joseph sleeps on the ground and he's raised by an alcoholic grandmother. Conditions at home are heartbreaking and they've lost two family members to TB. Valerie's mother abandoned her when she was only months old. Her sickly grandmother is trying to take care of her by making bricks when she can find work. Can you imagine a grandmother making bricks? It's hard work, ladies. It's hot, it's back-breaking work. 13 people live in one room and they sleep on floor mats and they share a blanket. Mercy's unmarried mother left her on the, her father's doorstep when she was a baby. Mom abandoned her, and her father, a drunk, tried to sell her. He was arrested, and Grandma is trying to raise Mercy and some of her cousins as well. One little girl was put in a grain sack, and the sack was tied closed by her father. So she couldn't get out. Both parents took a club and started beating her. They opened up the sack, saw that she was still breathing, tied it up again and continued on. Her screams brought help and her life was saved. These children and others' children with stories just as heart-wrenching as what I've just told you are coming to Linda's Little Angels Academy, a safe place, a harvest field, and they're getting food, they're being educated, they're being loved on, they're being watched over, they're given uniforms and shoes and sweaters so they have something to keep them warm when they go home. The harvest field can look different. You know, it was a difficult place. It was a very difficult place. You know, sometimes you really have to work the ground because it's hard. And this place where we put a school had hard ground. They thought we were Satan worshipers because the project went quite well, it went quite fast, and they had never seen anything so beautiful and move along easily. Usually when something starts in Kenya, it's a long time before they finish it because they run out of funds. So therefore, they thought we must be Satan worshipers. And all the adults kept their difference. They, they kept their distance. But you know, we pressed in. We pressed in. 
we worked the soil, we used our tools, we watched the field, we kept busy, we kept alert, we said, less, Lord, let the love, your love flow through us. And now, years later, they see it as a center of help. They see it as what we would say a lighthouse. Even the chief of the area has come and said, we have never seen anyone do this before. We have never seen anyone give out food to the hungry. We have never seen anyone take care of our children and get them medical help. We have never seen anyone put shoes on our baby's feet. We have never, 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 never until this church and this school took over this land. And that's exactly what we did in the spiritual. We took over the land. We saw the harvest field and we said, that is ours. It is ours. It belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to the enemy. We claim that. We claim it in the name of Jesus. And these children are little lights for Jesus. They go home with smiles on their faces. They go into bad situations and they shine for their guardians. They shine for their mamas. They shine for their grandmamas. The harvest field can look different at times. It's an exciting place to work. There's work to be done from sunrise to sunset. It's a place of feeding the hungry setting up medical clinics, providing wells, building churches, educating children, training pastors and leaders. Ruth, watch the field. Keep your eyes open on the field. Wilson is a street boy. He um, is an older street boy. I've known him for years. I needed to make a trip to town. I was tired. Believe it or not, missionaries get really tired. <laughs> and um, that's, that's why we ask for prayer. Uh, we really need your prayer, and we thank you for your prayer. I still had a lot to do, but I had to go to town. And in town, the sidewalks are extremely busy with vendors. And you know, you have motorbikes lined up. And everyone's trying to catch your attention. The mamas are selling tomatoes and onions and bananas or whatever. They want to grab you before you go into the store and spend your money. And there was a construction project going on. And I had piles of cement and bricks and different things to watch out for. It's just a maze of confusion. And I finished my shopping, and I was walking away, tired of all the hustle and bustle. And I was just ready to get to a quiet place when Wilson, the street boy that I've known for years, spots me. Mama Linda, Mama Linda. Mama Linda soon hits my ear, and I have a six-foot skinny street boy attached to my elbow. And he's walking with me with filthy clothes, smells a little bit. But he wants something to drink. I was tired. I, I was really, really, really tired. And I just shook my head. 
And I know that's the wrong thing to do, but this is what I did. I shook my head. I said, not today, Wilson, not today. I've already been in this, I'd already been in the store. I didn't want to go back through that maze of confusion. I didn't want to go through the traffic and the vendors. And I hear, please, please, Mama Linda, please, Mama Linda, feeling torn inside and knowing that I really should say yes. I still said, no, not today, another time, Wilson. But Wilson's not willing to give up because he knows I've always helped him. We're friends. And next I hear him say, Mama Linda, do it for Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess he's been listening to what I had to say. Mama Linda, do it for Jesus. You know, that stopped me in my tracks. We went to a place, and Wilson got something to eat and drink before he went on his way. Do it for Jesus. What can we do for Jesus? Look around you. When you leave here today, keep your eyes open. Be alert. Watch the field. Be like Ruth and say, Lord, Use me. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.